Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo, but unfortunately no Jeremy. We've been as always busy as always. Jeremy <laughs> is unable to join us. Uh, he's the B team or whatever we called them on the last one. But unfortunately, Jeremy is really, really busy working on a Netflix film. Um, he's sending us pictures of the set and it looks like I think a- it's an Apple film. Oh, is it? I thought it was Netflix. Eh, doesn't matter. Whatever. Somebody with a lot of money. He's not um, here. Not on the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Not on the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Um, uh, but this week we're going to be reviewing another Michael Mann film, just because I had watched it and it was easy for us to suggest. <laughs> so, uh, but no, that was, was going to be my first question: is no, why? <laughs> really, I actually think it would be interesting to talk about it, and you know, after we did, we delved so deeply into Miami Vice, you and I at least. So, and and we needed a movie we could do without Jeremy, and I'm sure this will suffice. So, we're going to do Michael Mann's latest film, which came out in I think 2015, Black Hat, starring Chris Hemsworth. And then we're going to talk about some other stuff. is hitting our financial markets. Four major banks, and that's just what we know about? If we want clues to the hacker's identity, we need a man named Hathaway. What do we know about this guy? He's a convicted hacker serving 15 years at MIT. Genius coder. I want you to commute my sentence for identification and the apprehension of the guy you're after. Those are the terms. Now, what's my question for you? Okay, so Lee, I... I would say that um, to steal a term from one of our favorite podcasts beyond this one, um, the uh, rewatchables, I think Miami Vice might have been Michael Mann's um, Apex Mountain, Hmm. you know, the point at which he was the most powerful. I think that that being able to make that movie at that budget um, is probably the, the peak of his career. Um. Since then, he's. Ha- I, mean, I think he had a pretty big hit with Public Enemies, um, but obviously Miami Vice didn't do well, and I forget if there was another movie between. Nah, he worked on the the TV series Luck um, with Dustin Hoffman, but it was Miami Vice, Public Enemies, three years later, Black Hat, six years later, and never to be heard of again. Heard from again, right? Um, and Black Hat totally bombed. It was like one of the biggest bombs ever. Um, But I wanted to ask you, like, I do feel like Black Hat is almost like Miami Vice light. For argument's sake, let's say it costs half as much money. Um, And I also think that man is... I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at the worldwide gross of this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a disaster. So I'm wondering if if we take the apex of his career and then we look at what could be the sort of lowest end of his career with black hat. Let's just say in terms of box office performance, um, I feel like he is working, um, in black hat 
a little bit with one hand tied behind his back. He doesn't have as much money. Um, I feel like Hemsworth is not the star he probably would want for this. Um, I'm not really sure why that happens. I think Public Enemies was a hit. Maybe it was low, a, a smaller hit than they expected. But um, how, how do you feel that impacted the film without trying to give give too little well, too much away of what you thought? Well, I'm definitely glad you started with a comparison to Miami Vice. Obviously, that was fresh in my mind. It's the last man movie that I've. Oh, actually, that's not true. I, I did go back and watch rewatch Collateral um, oh, after Miami Vice, but should have done that. Um, movie. But obviously, I hadn't seen Miami Vice in a while, and I had actually never seen Blackout. This is my first time seeing it, and I definitely drew parallels between the two. And you know, you bring up the budget, you bring up Chris Hemsworth. I think maybe those are some issues. Although while Hemsworth was far from great in this movie, I thought he was serviceable. And this movie did still have a seventy million dollar budget. I think the script here is maybe one of the weakest that he's ever worked with. And mm. I think that is the largest difference between what we've seen from him before. And, you know, I think that ranges from just sort of the basicness, the mainstream nature of this movie. And also just like what Michael Mann is really interested in, you know, going back and watching some of his movies and thinking more about his movies you start to realize that the story is kind of secondary for him. What he's most interested in, something that we talked about kind of at nauseum with Miami Vice, and what I sort of maybe even loved most about that movie is the minutia, the, the sophistication, like the inner workings of what those people do. And Black Hat was ripe for that. You know, it was about hackers and how that works and how it can manipulate things big and small it doesn't really bother with the minutia of that. It really uses it as a plot device. And in many ways that made this like, I, I, I kind of thought at the beginning, no different than like Die Hard 4. And if anybody remembers that, it's the same thing. It's like a hacker that, you know, used to work for the NSA or some shit like that and uses his skills to commit crimes. And this movie kind of falls into that same thing and it's just a little bit basic and I blame a lot of that on the script because man's style of filmmaking is certainly still here a lot of his strengths are still on display yeah that's interesting you say that I, I think to me you know if I had to pitch this in an elevator to somebody it, it it's it, that you say die hard four it's like it, it's like a real it's 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 a movie that you know takes this kind of um you know, do ss mahina, the you know, like a Maltese Falcon of the of the last twenty years, in, in terms of, in the terms of a hacker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of a bad guy that uses computers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's yeah. you know, there's no logic to how. But this movie, I think, is a is a pretty real representation of what hacking looks like. I mean, I think a lot of the things that happen in this movie, hacking into a nuclear plant, hacking a, a stock exchange, hacking a um, you know, uh, a dam are, are, are things that have happened in real life. I mean, maybe not exactly in the same right. way, but, um, I think, uh, I think that that's in, uh, and I think that's really cool. Like you, you kind of see how these people operate. Like you've got this, you know, much like you have with a lot of man films, like how these people start up, they, they start in carding, like, you know, fake, fake IDs and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and you know, making credit cards or you know, cloning credit cards or whatever, and um, 
I like that. I like, you know, I like getting that from man. And in a way it's, it's a lot like Miami vice where you get exposure to, you know, like a, a sort of crime syndicate that you didn't, that has been often represented in film and in Hollywood um, and not necessarily accurately. And then man does a lot of research to make sure it does. And you sort of get a sense of what these things are really like. But I think the biggest difference between something like this and Miami vice is that this movie kind of paints with much broader strokes. Like even if it's realistic that a hacker would go after a stock exchange or a dam or whatever, it's, it's all so big. Like every event in this is so big where Miami vice, it's like, like, let's dig a little deeper here. Like, what are these, like, we've seen a million movies and TV shows about cops going undercover to, you know, expose a drug ring of some kind or, or figure out something, you know, double agents in the FBI or whatever. But in Miami Vice, they're like, it's silly, but it's like, we're going to go as transpo guys. Like, that's how we're going to get there. It's just this, like, very specific, narrowed-in focus on something that we wouldn't expect, and it adds a realism to it, where this is just, even if it is realistic, it just feels like something we've seen before. Yeah. And I, I just think it lacks a subtlety and a sophistication that a lot of Michael Mann's movies had. Miami Vice is a, is a clear example, but all his movies, like the language in movies like Heat, and even the conversations in Collateral are all very nuanced. And this movie isn't. I feel like this movie dumbs itself down, and Michael Mann has never done that. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a scene in this movie where they have a line of dialogue explaining what a rat is. And I didn't know what it was when they were talking about it, and they explained it, and now I know name another Michael Mann movie where he would have taken the time to explain that to us. He doesn't give a shit if we know he's I, moving on. I'm like, you know that, what I mean? That, that's what I mean. Kind of partially by the hand behind the back. It feels like he is, you know, six years away from public enemies, which was kind of a minor hit. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, if you compare this to Miami vice, which like looks very strange and, 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 and unconventional, um, and you know, is extraordinarily expensive. You look at this film, and you know he does stuff like go into the computer in those yeah, CGI sequences. And I think those were more conceptually um, coherent than a lot yeah. of other Hollywood movies, which I liked. But it seemed very unlike Man. To it me. looks dated too, yeah. which is which is tough. And, and um, you know, you've got this guy who loves the handheld camera, loves the reality of the handheld camera, loves getting in people's faces and, like, kind of the, the realness, the rawness of, of a, cam- a handheld camera. And then you're doing these, like, digital shots inside a computer, like, literally as, like, a bite right. of information moving through the computer. It seems weird. I mean, I didn't totally mind that. Um, but, I, I frankly, I really like this movie. I mean, I, and maybe that's just because I like anything Michael Mann does and, and I, I'm here for his work no matter what but i i like it um i think i've even warmed to hemsworth a little bit in it i think he's fine I, yeah i will say this that his, like, his accent is horrific <laughs> i it's sli- it's like slipping in and out all over the place but i will say this that and like i said i'd never seen this movie and that is in large part due to you know the first time i saw miami vice i i didn't really like it movie has obviously grown on me quite a bit Public Enemies I did not like. It's another movie I should probably revisit. And, you know, we spent a lot of time over the last, you know, six, seven years talking about kind of the downfall of Michael Mann. He hasn't really done anything. 
and you know this came out and it it just like i knew it bombed but looking at these numbers 70 million dollar budget and you know 19 million dollars worldwide is just a just like colossal disaster um so i never saw this movie and i just felt like you know this was kind of the the icing on the cake in terms of like right that's not a great analogy but this was the end of Michael Mann. But watching this movie, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm surprised this movie bombed so bad. I didn't love it, but I also kind of liked it. It's like wholly entertaining. Like him or not as an actor and like, you know, he's not De Niro or Pacino in Heat. He's not Cruz or Fox in Collateral. He's not even Farrell or Fox in Miami Vice, but he is a serviceable lead in this movie. Hemsworth... And I just think it's kind of surprising to me that this movie was the downfall of Michael Mann and or the disappearance of Michael Mann. Like, I know we've talked about it a ton, like the, the budgets that he demands, what he needs, he's not going to get, you know, the types of movies that he makes are not popular now, especially for theaters. And that's that's all true. And that's probably a bigger factor. But this movie is not as bad as its reputation in the grand scheme of Michael Mann's career. Again, no. I did not love it, but I liked it. I, you know, I think it's a good movie. I think for another filmmaker, it's, or, you know, an average filmmaker, it's their best movie. And Michael Mann, it's his worst. Hmm. Gives a lot of credit to him as a, as you know, to his career. Yeah. Hem- Hemsworth is an interesting, um, interesting person to discuss. He's, you know, famous, most famous for Thor, and I think has, you know, evolved in that character quite a bit since coming, you know, since the first film. Um, but he's never, I don't think he's ever had a hit outside of Thor. No, I don't think so. He doesn't look the part of no, this movie. not like, at all. Not <laughs> at all. That's a big problem. Way too handsome. Six foot um, four hacker. Like the guy that the bad guy in this movie, and we can talk about the climax of this movie in a little bit, but the bad guy in this movie looks like who your lead should be. I mean, he can't be your action movie hero, unfortunately, but that's what you picture with a hacker and not, not Thor and the soon to be Hulk Hogan biopic star. (laughs) It just doesn't work, but I like him. I think he's charming. You know, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, like you bring up a good point. Like what is like what what do we like Chris Hemsworth for? You know, outside of you know, Marvel movies. I don't know, not much. I mean, he he had that successful Netflix movie. I guess I should give him credit for that. Um I forget that was called. I hated it, but um, Extraction? Yeah. Was that successful? That was during a pandemic. That doesn't count. Doesn't count. Pandemic rules. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, let's get into it. Um, tell me your thoughts. So, like I said, I think this story is a little basic. Like I like, I, I do like the hunt though. Like the 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 best parts of this movie when they were kind of in the thick of it, they didn't really know who they were chasing. They could, and they didn't know why the hacker was doing these things. That was the best start. Like that was, I liked the kind of the the hunt and the nuance of their conversations and trying to figure out and understand like wh- how they were using their code how were they manipulating their code 
that stuff was all really interesting. I liked that stuff. That's when I was most engaged. And to the movie's credit, that was a good amount of the movie. And it led to a very anticlimactic finish for me. Really? Um, starting with the payoff being like what the plan was all along. It's like they, uh, I don't know how to describe it best, but it's like they're writing this script. They need a big payoff. They couldn't think of one. So they're just like, I don't know. Let's, uh, he wants to uh, flood some, some tin mines to (laughs) raise the stock price on tin. (laughs) Like it just felt so like random it could have been anything. You know what I mean? Like any like it could have led anywhere based on where we got. And I thought that that was anticlimactic and then the final showdown I felt was pretty anticlimactic. So as a whole the movie didn't entirely work for me, but you know, a good portion of this movie I thought was really interesting. I I liked most of the characters. I thought the relationships and the the back and forth between all the leads was really interesting, although the FBI agents and the Chinese government like why did it that need to happen seems strange like why why complicate this with like two countries trying to work over jurisdiction and I, I thought that that was messy but this is a good movie it just you know I think it has a lot of the messiness that Miami Vice has it's almost mm. like you can see a pattern but this also has some of those other problems, like not quite as good a script, maybe man with a hand tied behind his back. So tell me about the it's, script. It's messy. It's basic. It's just, it's just feels like, like I mentioned, like a diehard four, like a very simple story that Michael Mann elevates with his filmmaking, with his action sequences, which I thought were great, very reminiscent of heat. And it makes this movie, elevated it makes it more than just your standard basic extraction netflix 2020 release but the script is in in the hands of a lesser director is a a a completely forgettable movie it's a you know one of those you know hundred early 2000s dawn of the internet hacker movies which Mm. you know i can't even name they're so forgettable that's what this movie is without without being in the hands of michael michael mann probably doing some of his least successful work Hmm. yeah i mean the reason i'm interested in and wanted to hear your thoughts on this is i think the film just feels like a well-executed redux of miami vice yeah it is international locations. You've got this kind of like brooding, you know, protagonist, uh, a Chinese love interest. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, um, I'm not why you want to keep doing that. I, I really like the character. I forget his name, but the character who plays his friend. Um, yeah, who I this little bit. I definitely thought he was the guy that got shot in the neck and died, and then the next scene he was not dead. So that was, felt a little racist. No, that was a different guy. Yep. Love him. Um, yeah, so... But, you know, like, uh, as far as these things go... Um, oh, there's a new trailer for Guillermo del Toro's movie. Yeah, I just watched it. It's, it looks really good. Is it? Yeah. 
<laughs> sidebar. Let's talk about, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, so I just think, um, I just think, you know, it's, it's just very reminiscent of Miami Vice and other things that Michael Mann does. And, you know, I'm wondering, like, uh, like I think it, I think this is a well executed movie and interesting in its own ways. But then, you know, you've got like I, I find the romance a little hackneyed. You know, it didn't. Uh, I think, we've like, talked about Michael Mann's not yeah. a strong suit. Yeah. I think it works a little bit wor- less than it does in Miami Vice. Um, yeah, you know, like like it feels just very similar. It just feels like this little snapshot of these people. And um, so, two two things. One is, I I. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, and I like talking about this so closely to our review of Miami Vice. Admittedly, I I was hoping, although not expecting, you to have a more interesting reason for us to be watching this Shit. than just that we wanted to. You wanted to, or or no, sorry, not that you wanted to, that you already did. I already did, yeah. <laughs> um, but I kind of knew that I was is kind of like, my look, reason, like, though. We wa- we just watched Miami Vice, and yes, this is like very reminiscent of it. And you could tell it's the same filmmaker. It, you can tell he's working kind of in the same world. And I really do like that about it. And I like comparing the two movies. I actually think it's really interesting to do so. I'd encourage other people to do it, especially because Miami Vice is definitely a movie that deserves more credit than it gets. And Black Hat, while not as good, also deserves more credit than it gets, I think. So you're right. Like, Honing in to a certain extent on these like very specific characters doing very specific jobs and dealing with like these international settings using a filmmaking style that is very unique to Michael Mann does make these very interesting comparisons. But in that, it proves, at least to me, what I like so much about Mann. And it's that he is not interested in catering to his audience Mm. and that is what we love about michael mann's movies go back through all of our favorites of his and black hat i think caters a little bit too much to its audience and i think that's what makes it a little ironic that it did so poorly but it's also you know his man's the fact that he is uninterested in doing that is you know also, ironically, part of the reason we're not seeing movies from him anymore, you know, along with the budget, he is not, you know, he doesn't do something that Christopher Nolan does, right? Christopher Nolan is a visionary. He's an auteur. And he, the reason he gets the budget he wants is because he can make a sophisticated movie that doesn't necessarily dumb itself down, i.e. tenant, but offers up something for the mass audience and Michael Mann's movies don't do that like you know he is an auteur he is a he is an artist in the sense that like you have to go after you have to go find what he's doing Mm. that's interesting and for people like us that's great but for the mass audience it doesn't work so his his you know the fact that he won't make a movie that will slow itself down and explain things a few times and go over the, you know, language and the sophistications of hackers or, you know, vice cops is a problem for his audiences. And that's why his movies bomb. And a lot of people didn't even get to the theater to find out that Black Hat may have actually 
been dumbed down enough for them to enjoy. And, and, you know, that's what's unfortunate, I think. It's, you know, had he, I'm not asking him to do it because, again, I love his movies the way they are. But had his movies been made for a wider audience, more accessible, more people perhaps would have seen Black Hat and appreciated it, and maybe his career would still be going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's an interesting point of view. I think we wouldn't be in- interested in talking about him if that were the case. Well, yeah, if he was, if he changed changed directions, it's an interesting, it's an interesting aspect of his career. Like the reason he, part of the reason he's not making movies anymore is because of the thing that we love about him. If he chose not to do that, maybe he'd still be making movies that we would no longer be interested in. Yeah, I find it interesting they get made at all. Really, Black Hat. Yeah, I mean, like, um, how did Public Enemies do? You know, I feel like that had to have done well. Johnny Depp's in it. Yeah, it did. I think. I think they. I think the expectation for it was. Sorry, I'm gonna look it up. I mean, I was really excited about. Yeah, you know, it's Johnny Depp sort of at the height of his fame. It did did pretty well. Two fifteen worldwide, but I think I think that's a disappointment for for that budget. yeah. Yeah, for you know him playing Dillinger, a pretty famous character i i think that's a really interesting point though it's like you know man is this avant-garde director working with these big budgets and these big stars and it's like he's got a you know a guardian angel in hollywood or something you know like like he has no these movies have no business doing well and most of the time they don't do well <laughs> yeah oh you want you want to you want 70 million dollars to make a movie about the 60 minutes story about tobacco you know like (laughs) what can't you do that for 15 yeah but that's the thing is that that's i mean the budget thing is funny we could have like a a hour-long conversation about like let's just let's just slim down his budget but the insider to me is arguably his best movie and it's about the it's the smallest story and that was my point at the top that he's less interested in the story mm. and more interested in the minutia. Like the insider, he is inside of mm. Jeffrey Wigand and Lowell Bergman's head. Like that yeah. whole movie is about like their mindsets and like what they are going through and how they're going to do their job and get through this. It is not about big tobacco and the whistleblower. That's just there. And like, I, I think that's what makes his movie so good. And like collateral too, like collateral is a pretty like, in many ways a basic story right it's you know this cab driver that takes a serial killer through the night but that movie's about like you know your place in the world and like what you're doing with your life like it's about so much more and that again is what man hones in on it's why there's all these close-ups and these like random shots of the empty la streets and like all these things that he focuses on and miami vice is the same thing like that end shot of Miami Vice that we talked about, it's Colin Farrell uh, leaving his girl behind and then going to the hospital to be with the people that he's loyal to. Yeah. Has nothing to do with the undercover FBI agent that was the leak. It has nothing to do with the drug ring. It has nothing to do with that. That that story is all there to kind of serve these characters and what they're going through. And Black Hat is kind of the inverse of that. It's 
the characters are there. You kind of understand the relationships, but that's all secondary to the plot moving forward. Can I ask you, do you feel like you have issues connecting with, like, let's just call it post-collateral man protagonists? Um, so I remember, I don't know if you and I had this conversation or if I maybe, you know, whatever, but that, that idea about coming up about Miami Vice, right? Like you just, do you really care about Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx and Miami Vice? Cause it's a, cause, good, it's a good question. Cause really they're just like, they're almost like These tools. two cool guys. Yeah. yeah. They're like two, they're like, they're there to be like, this is what we do. We're all like, they're, they, they're almost like a. Uh, like a cliched version of a Michael Mann character, you know, like they don't have yeah. any, they don't really have any flaw. Like they, they don't have any personality beyond their work. And, you know, like De Niro and Pacino and Heat are similar, but they've got issues. I mean, that was kind of what was significant about that film was that there's this like, Oh, this thief suddenly isn't wants to be in a relationship with a woman and, and break all his own rules. And then, this guy, this detective who is like this, you know, kind of hot shot and really good at his job and, 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 and telling everybody what to do and yelling, you know, can't seem yeah, to keep it together a, at home. But he's know? got a soft spot for his, you know, for his stepdaughter. Right. And yeah. like, I think that endears you to those characters. It, they're also played by two of the finest actors who have ever lived. Right. And that endears you to them. But I would say I don't feel anywhere near that for Colin Farrell and, and Jamie Foxx. I mean, Colin Farrell a little bit just because mm. he's a, no, he's it's a, a, but you know what I mean? And then, and then with Chris yeah. Hemsworth, you don't, I mean, he's just like a vessel for sort of skill. Like he's just a skill set essentially. And right. And you know, he's got this history, which is interesting, but you don't, you never really know anything about him beyond that. He's just like, a prisoner and that he's yeah, like, I don't care. Yeah. I, I did spend like a part of this movie being like, why did they really need to get him? Like, <laughs> I feel like they could have just had figured this out. Cause like he wasn't just solving like the hacking. He was like solving the case. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, um, it's a really good question. And I think you're right. I do think that that is lost a little bit in his later films and could be a huge issue with it. Um, you know, I think heat and, collateral are two just prime examples of how to make an audience care about your characters regardless of their actions good good guys and bad guys right. like yeah it's a good point i think it's just it's a master class in that and which is fascinating because then it, after that it just goes so downhill yeah and he and what's interesting is that there's not like one thing that you can like point to and say well this is what he does in these movies and this is what he doesn't do i think it's a combination of script of acting because look like yes De Niro and Pacino you know Hall of Fame actors but Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx are also great actors and Colin Farrell is a great actor and Johnny Depp and Christian Bale are great actors and uh, and they're in Public Enemies and you know Chris Hemsworth you know maybe he's excluded from this conversation but he always works with great actors but I think his scripts and the nuances of the script and the um, attention that he gives to the nuances of the characters in those other movies is so much more important. It comes back to the point I was making. Black Hat is not about the characters. It's about the story. And 
as soon as you start putting more attention into the story, attention gets taken away from the characters. And that, and I think the fact that man has always been so intent on making sure that you are focused on Jeffrey Wigan and Lil Bergman, um, Neil McCauley and Al Pacino, <laughs> um, you know, Hannah, yeah. Matt, yeah, and, and Hannah, Vincent uh, Hannah. Max and, and Vincent and Collateral. Like, what is going on with them in their world, who they want to be, where they've been? All that stuff is just such a central focus of those movies. The dialogue is delivered by great actors. It's well-written. And that's what makes you care about them and want to follow their story. And that's that's a, that's a definitely absent in Black Hat. I'm, I imagine absent to a certain extent in, in Public Enemies. And in Miami Vice, it's interesting because, you know, I think Miami Vice is the bridge, right? Mm. You might not care about the characters, but he still is very focused on, on them. Yeah, I think and, you get that a little bit with Gong Lee's character. I mean, it's a little yeah. forced, but... Yeah, we talk, and we talked about that too. I think the language barrier in, in that role, the fact that she kind of just memorized the lines made that a very difficult performance for her to deliver. But yeah, like it's just, it's the bridge and you can kind of see it as we're talking about his career as a whole. You can see that tipping point where, you know, whether it was intentional or force or whatever the circumstances may have been, you know, his focus shifted and the quality of his movies kind of fell with that. And yeah, and I just think people, people probably saw that to a certain extent. Mm. Or, or, they, or it was my other theory that they couldn't put up with Michael Mann anymore so stopped seeing his movies even as they started to cater more to a broader audience. Mm. I'm not sure. But I liked this movie. Yeah. It's um lesser my it's minor man. Minor man. Yeah. Oh. I do wanna I I, I do really want to revisit public enemies because just basically out of curiosity, it, I mean it has a seventy meta score. Hmm. It's got such a great cast. Yeah. Um and did like we said did okay so maybe it's just like it was such a disappointment at the time that its reputation has gotten the better of it mm. could be yeah all right what else you got for me babes well um i would you know just single doing the doing the dating thing Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I've I've <laughs> I've put on the uh, on a couple of my I, I put this podcast and I'll do anything to promote the podcast, get it to more people, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, I yeah, you know some some people have engaged me on. And people that. are like, oh, I I downloaded. There's no episodes. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Because because we don't record podcasts oh, right, that yeah, often yeah. anymore. Um, but you know, like this is Portland. We got some, you know, strong women here. Um, in particular, I had someone down listen to the promising young woman. Oh, I was curious. So you mentioned this to me. Um, yep. and 
you know, I was, I was a little, I was a little taken aback by, uh, how do I do this? Um, <laughs> um, you know, like we're three white guys who talk about movies mm-hmm. and straight white guys. And I mean, I hear it from a lot of people that we need to get a, a female perspective on here and I don't disagree. And I would right. also, I think it would be interesting. I also would like like everybody to know that they can send in their voice memos to us anytime, yeah, anytime, and we will always play them. And in fact, we're going to address an excellent question from a new, not a new listener. um, Yeah, we're going to dedicate a whole podcast, a whole podcast, because it's such a good question. So I encourage people to send their stuff in and consider that a way that we could hear more voices from the community. Um, But yeah, I mean, I thought this person loves promising young woman. And you well, know, if you remember, I and I know you did as well. as well. Yeah, and despite its issues, um, yeah, like I was getting, a, I was getting a, lo- a little ration to <laughs> shit for it, and, and for my opinion on it, and it made me think about sort of what something I always struggle with on this podcast is like trying to be objective, and but also trying to be beyond objective, be you know, open to ideas that maybe we don't, aren't exposed to a lot. And, um, you know, like over the past four years or five years or so, we've seen a change in this country in the way we talk about and, you know, treat people of color, women specifically. And I have tried, and I'm sure you guys, and I know you guys have tried as well to like, you know, make that a part of the way we think about these things. But I, you know, it may it made me question whether I'd missed something. Like, you know, it, am I the right person to talk about promising young women, or am I? And so then I asked. I mean, I asked some other women what they thought of that film, and they didn't like it as well for the same reasons I did. And I so, so I sort of sort of felt a little bit vindicated. But yeah. you know, it, I think that, that there's a point where you know we sit here and we look at through Jeremy's catchphrase a movie's a movie's a movie you know we're 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 really just analyzing these films as movies and we can talk about their social implications and we can discuss those you know as sort of as far as three white guys straight white guys can do but really our our intention is to talk about the quality of the filmmaking and the things we discuss on this film on the podcast and so i don't know i wonder if we need to change the way we talk about this stuff. Do we need to incorporate more voices? I mean, part of me is also just like, this is what the podcast is. It's just the three of us talking. Yeah. It's hard enough to get the three of us together, much less add somebody else into the mix. Yeah. Um, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> so that, there look, it is. There it ends. Shut the if, fuck up. It, you know, if you're curious as to whether or not we have evolved as podcasters, I would, I don't know if I want to encourage you or dissuade you from going back to the very earliest versions of this podcast when, you know, it was me, Jeremy and Brantley, and we were 25 years old and young and naive and just out of college. And our kind of gut reactions our initial reactions to things were far less mature than they are now Mm. and i think far less aware of the implications and the importance and relevance that 
you know, certain subject matters and certain movies have. And I actually think that the three of us have all kind of evolved quite a bit in the way that we talk about movies and the way that we respond to certain movies, both as movies as a movie as a movie, and, but also as how those movies impact us. And I can give you a ton of examples. Think about how much I have advocated for Beautiful Boy and have pointed out that I am 100% sure that I would have felt very differently about that movie had I not had a young son of my own. And think about the place we were all in in the summer of 2019 when we saw Black Klansman and Jeremy called that movie very cathartic. And, you know, my reactions and how powerful I thought uh, never rarely, sometimes always was. And you even admitted that that despite your issues with that movie, that it, it had a certain power and resonance with you. And we've also always said on the flip side that a movie can be important. That doesn't make it good. Mm. And those are two separate conversations. And I think it's fair to judge them on both of those bases together and individually. So, yeah, I think that the way that we discuss movies is totally fair because anytime we are critical of a movie, we are never saying that this movie shouldn't have been made. We are never saying, well, that's not true. Green Book probably shouldn't have been made. But that almost kind of proves my point because the problems with that movie are the ignorance, is the ignorance of it, right? The, or I shouldn't say the problems with that movie. The acclaim for that movie is the ignorance that is part of the problem, right? And that's something that we called out about that movie. So I think in many ways, and especially when I've heard myself kind of some of the offhanded comments I made on the podcast, you know, 12 years ago, I think that we have changed quite a bit in the way that we discuss movies and the things that we look for and the things that we find important. And a movie like Promising Young Woman, part of the things that I loved so much about it was that it was just like purely a revenge movie. Like I really liked Carrie Mulligan in that movie. I liked seeing her fulfill her objectives. I liked seeing the cliched bad guys kind of get theirs in a very cliche way didn't make it a great movie but i still could enjoy that i could still recognize the importance i could recognize the fact that you know people were seeing a strong female lead taking control of her life in a sort of exaggerated form mm. and that's great that's great that that movie did that it's great that it got recognition the movie i always bring up is black panther right and that movie was a huge box office success and it was extraordinarily important for a lot of younger people especially younger people of color who could see a superhero in the marvel universe that is so popular that is black and is powerful and has followers and just can kind of mix into the community of you know strong white men captain america's iron man's that we've seen for so many years but that movie didn't really deserve to win any Oscars, never mind the amount that it did and the amount amount the amount that it was sort of predicted to win. Just because it's important doesn't make it good. Mm. Those two things can be mutually exclusive. So there's my long-winded response to to the criticism or or veiled criticism of how we discuss movies. Good. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so back the fuck off. We'll say whatever the fuck we want. We're three white men. <laughs> right? Well, Is that what, heard, that's heard, what I was getting? Yeah, I think that's what you were trying to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. Was anybody going to do about it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a interesting point. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I think I agree with you. I mean, honestly, like, really, we don't really have that many. We're not that, we're not very important or important at all. We really just do this for our own amusement and, and yeah, we like talking to each other. We like talking to each other, keep the friendship alive, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, like I, 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 I'm, I think it's good that we've evolved and I think that's like a, a good outcome of, of how, you know, the impact of the way culturally things have shifted on us. Um, I mean, look, yeah, like if we have 10 listeners or 10,000 listeners, I don't think it matters. I think if if we're going to recommend a movie and then somebody's going to hear that recommendation, I think we are often very clear and honest about why we're recommending it. And I think we each kind of have our own individual ways of voicing that. And, you know, Jeremy's is our kind our sort of always within our mantra is a movie is a movie is a movie. And he's very good about just saying, like, look, like I watched this movie about this. This is how I felt. This is what was done well. And this was what wasn't. I think you and I sometimes, you know, get let let our let external circumstances affect our opinion of it a little bit more. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I, I think that in doing so we have a perspective that is still very honest and we are just vocal about that and you know we can say that you know promising young woman is kind of a disaster of a screenplay that is you know somewhat well directed and has a good lead performance but is also a you know pretty goddamn entertaining movie about you know, a strong woman taking control of things after, you know, she's been sort of controlled and beaten down by the society she's living in, then that's fine too. You know, doesn't mean it needs to win a fixie. It got nominated for zero, Mm. but I liked that movie. And I know I actually probably even really liked that movie, but I also, (laughs) watching Armageddon on TV the other night and was texting you because I'm like, God, I really like this movie too. <laughs> Are we getting another, another landmark in feminist theory and film? Um, oh yeah. Big time. Big Especially time. yeah. The, the scene when they get furloughed there and yeah. <laughs> Steve Buscemi borrows a hundred grand from this random guy to go to a strip club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good response. I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it just makes me wonder if, if, um, you know, if, if, I don't know. Yeah. Is this the, this the same listener that didn't like my opinion of Titanic? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Different this, person. We have so many listeners. It's not like we ever hear from one more than once. It's so. hard to keep track of them all. That's true. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this abbreviated version of the get your film fixed podcast you know we only have two voices on yeah, here it's to tough on this to. two of us yeah um so we hope you enjoyed that if you're interested in dating me you can find me on <laughs> hinge and bumble <laughs> um, yeah, i don't think you can i don't now. think you is can tinder search. not a thing anymore i think that's more for hooking up um oh okay for sex and, and what about okay cupid oh that's an old one i don't know oh no but nope i wouldn't do that one yeah. Um, 
it's weird when I think like, oh, that's an old one. I assume that like it's <laughs> we've gotten too old for it. So now there's just there's way just, younger people yeah. on it. That's why you can't go on it. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I, I usually consider the podcast the end of the line for the relationship, you know, however uh-huh. it started. So like, you know, once you start listening, it's, you know, it's it's not on your profile that you have a podcast. No, it is. It is. Uh, but oh. I never expected anybody to, to actually listen to it. Um, but they didn't. No. <laughs> but they found the, the I mean, obviously like that. We did. Wouldn't we do that movie? It was quite a while ago. They scrolled through and which one? Promising Young Woman. Oh, yeah. That was in the last fall. Yeah. So or they were winter. I think this person was looking for something that was going to be controversial. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I was very feminist in another podcast. I don't know. I can't, couldn't How, tell you. She couldn't listen to our podcast on Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> one. All right, well, thank you very much for listening, and, and we'll be back, um, hopefully in a week, with, well, no. Cry Macho, maybe? Cry Macho, maybe. It'll probably still be just Lee and I, but then Jeremy and Lee and I are going to tackle some really big questions from you the listener so please send them in to feedback at get your film there's another one an easier one feedback at gyff.com is that right yes gyff podcast gyff now podcast. we've confused everybody <sighs> Fuck. maybe we should do this at the beginning of the show a lot of podcasts do that's like the plugs at the beginning before oh good, good idea. shut us off yeah Good idea. Like people shut up. We're at 48 minutes. I think people shut us off at about 42. Well, no one listened to it. I mean, this is the fewer people are going to listen to this than watch Black Hat. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if we charge $12 a listen, we would make more money. We'd yeah. make more money than yeah, Black Hat. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. Oh. Did you just hang up on me? <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.